Father, I thank you for your word, that it is truth. Thank you for the life that is Jesus, the message, the pointer, uh, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. It's hard for the world to understand that. Lord, they look at life and oxygen and, Lord, um, just theories about where energy comes from. Lord, but we know that you are the source that doesn't just feed the fuel in our cells, but you feed the soul, the suke, the deep inmost being of who we are. You fuel it by your power. Thank you for the cross that you died for us, that we could be saved. Lord, like that song, you are holy, you are worthy. Lord, worthy to be praised in everything. And Lord, we will tell of your wonderful works like the song cries out. Uh, today, especially when we talk about some science things. So I'll let your word come alive and bless it in Jesus' name. And may people leave transformed in Jesus' name. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Well, today, uh, God, and uh, I'm talking about God and science. I should have underlined it, but I didn't. Next week will be God and world religions. Um, we're not trying to pick up, uh, pick on any world religions. We're really trying to draw the distinctions so you can see the differences is what makes Christianity unique. Some people think uh, all religions are just kind of a melting pot of ideas, so they all have a little bit of truth. You can kind of combine it. It's called Baha'ism. Um, um, we sort of just kind of, can, you know, mold everything into one, and they're all very similar. You'll, you're going to find next week that there's a lot of mutually exclusive claims um, that they can't be the same, that different religions make. They can't all be true because they're making different claims. So you have to look at the documents. You have to look at the existential reality. How does it correspond with what you see, etc. Um, some of you come from different religious backgrounds. I come from a religious background called atheism. <clears throat> um, I was born... Um, I had a Bible. It was called the Fossil Record. Um, and then you study that to see where you came from. And then the Big Bang cosmology, so that I finally found out that I came from nothing, and I was really encouraged. <clears throat> then I realized it was a purposeless universe run by chance, that I'd come from primordial soup, which eventually became monkeys, and now I'm here. So I wasn't sure whether to get excited or go to the zoo and see my cousins. That's how it worked out. Um, But I finally found that there was an answer to the beauty and revelation intelligence that I was given and that I was made by an intelligent God. That it wasn't made from something impersonal, but I was made from something personal. I wasn't made from nothing. I was made from something. I wasn't made from non-intelligence or stupidity or nothingness. I was made from intelligence. I wasn't made without purpose. I was made for purposes and from the God who has plans and a purpose and a hope and a future for my soul. And you know what? He has that for you too. It's not just me. That's so scriptures weren't just written about me. They were written to you as well. And God is omnipresent and omniscience. He knows all things can be in all places. And God can be as personal to you as he can be to me, not just in my imagination, but in reality. He has that capability. Just like we look at the ant and think we have superior knowledge, so God looks upon us, but way beyond the ant, he knows all things. Um, and he's the creator, you're the, um, the creation. As I talk about science today, I want you to know, um, through history, there are hundreds of very famous scientists 
and thousands upon thousands of Christian scientists who've invented a number of things throughout history. So a lot of times people will say now in our modern age, you know, what are Christians doing talking about science? Can I tell you, some of the leading technology of stuff is being pioneered by science. A lot of the stuff in RNA world right now is being pioneered by Christians. I'm not saying they're only ones. I'm not trying to be exclusive. I'm just saying they've been on the pioneering of the cutting edge. Sir Francis Bacon invented the scientific method. We have um, Kepler, um, who discovered the three laws of planetary motion, later changed with Einstein's um, theory of uh, gravity and general relativity. We have Sir Isaac Newton, who obviously took apart the optics of the eye. Also, he's the co-inventor of calculus. How many don't like Newton now? You have Louis Pasteur, the father of microbiology, and the whole field of microbiology is riddled with creationists who believe that God created things and that things were ordered in the world and that you could study them, that there was a correspondence with the internal workings of the mind and the reality out there, that there was a correspondence. We could comprehend what was going on there. The matter in motion within us made sense and made sense of what we saw through our five senses and through our intuition. God adds upon that in, in Christianity that we not only have these physical attributes, but we also get the spirit of God. Not just our own spirit and not just our own soul, but the spirit who is from God. And that only comes one way, and that is through the sacrifice of Christ. Your sins have to be paid for or a holy God cannot visit you. And trust me, I'm not holy enough to have a holy God in me. I'm full of holes, okay? But because of Christ, I am holy enough. He has washed away my sins, and now the holy God can live and dwell in me. Um, Some know Maxwell, the law of electricity, magnetism. Now when we look at the electronal microscope and can see the smallest thing like the atom, um, we get that from Maxwell, a very diehard Christian. And these are in the, also in the psychology fields, um, in the astrophysicist fields. Some of you guys know Guillermo, who is studied the, one of the most studied person on the elasticity of stars. He wrote the, he made the book uh, and the movie Privileged Planet. We have uh, Damadian, who was the inventor of the MRI. How many are glad we have the MRI? So you can find out what's going to kill you in a couple weeks, right? I'm just kidding. But that was invented, and we can go on and on. So creationists and Christians do not have to exit the field of science. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We have a great reason to, and we said even the founders of science were hard Christians. Let me look at some scriptures to begin with, some I read last week. Now, I want you to, before I read these scriptures, I want you to think about this for a second. Forget you live in this world and what the world tells you that we came from primordial soup, we came from nothing, some electricity hit some water with the right gas, and all of a sudden some amino acids came into play. And I told you kind of how improbable that is, but let's imagine that's their picture. Bottom up, you know, everything got more and more complex. God tells a completely opposite picture. He says he creates things full-formed, and they're decaying over time. They're devolving. In other words, the original man, Adam, Adam, he is a full man with full DNA and full genetic potential, full, full potential for colors. You know, with some of you seen all the color charts, you can get almost all the colors and shades of brown. 
which is what people are from that original uh, DNA um, strands um, from the early chromosomes. All the potentials there. God is the one who actually made it. And think about this. Thank you. Is this water? Just kidding. Just kidding. I got to watch what I joke around with. I want you to imagine that God actually wants to get credit for what he did. Uh, Anyone here work on cars? You know, you work on cars. I mean, you get that thing just right. I don't work on cars very well. I did a couple times when I was in high school. And then I realized that the car wasn't going to run after I changed the motors and finally had someone help me do it. The instructions weren't enough. But when you get something built, you want to drive that thing around and go check it out. Now, God's not a boaster. But God is just self. He understands himself. He created these things, and he wants the credit. Not because he's self-centered, but because it's like, obviously, I did it. You could not have made this. And so either you made this with your imagination, this reality, with the, all these physical laws. You know, you have these molecules all over the place with these neutrons and protons and electrons in perfect orbit working, you know, coalescing with each other and this, all this chemistry that's just working together. And then you have the God who created it or you created it in your imagination or it came from nothing. Some kind of quantum potential, an impersonal force somewhere just made it. That's what you have to kind of draw from. And God says he made it. We sang that song, you're holy, you're worthy. He's worthy because he made it. The reason we cover this is because the the Bible says that the universe declares the glory of God. This is what the Lord says, your redeemer who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord who has, can you say with me, made all things. That's what he thinks. Who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by himself. In other places it says he stretches it out. There in Job it says he stretches it out and hangs the earth on nothing. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God seems to think that he makes everything, and he feels good about that. And he has no problem saying it. He's not subject to entropy, so he won't decay like everything else in the natural material world. He's immaterial. That's his description. He's transcendent. Okay, that means he transcends the physical material universe, so he's not subject to its laws. They are subject to him. That's the way he describes himself. From the beginning of creation, the next one, God made them male and female. In God's world, he makes man near, right at the end of all the creation. So if you think you're important, just make sure you understand that he made the dogs and the cats first. Right? God made the plants. Then he made the stars, the sun, and the moon. Because the plants, once the sun comes in, the photosynthesis starts working. And you start reproducing oxygen. You know, there's, and there's all kinds of these symbiotic relationships that don't make sense unless God makes them together. And, the, and evolutionary stories are really quite ridiculous. Uh, Psalm 104, um, verse 2, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. God knows what light is, and he stretches out the heaven like a tent. We, the universe for years, people thought it was just a static, solid, steady state universe that just remained the same. It wouldn't change. And, and people would say, well, God's been living forever. And they go, well, the universe lives forever. And that was really fine until Einstein looked at the telescope or the Hubble telescope with Edwin Hubble. And as he saw, 
he saw that the galaxies were moving away from us. And that means that at one point they were where we were. And which became that there is a universe, not just the stars themselves, but the actual fabric of space itself is stretching out. Just like God describes it. Imagine that this is documented like 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. Do you know that they made flat earth maps until the 1500s? If they had just looked at the text and saw the word sphere in there, they would have said the earth's a sphere. But all the scientists of that day said it was flat. And they built map after map. There's hundreds and hundreds of flat earth maps that they built in detail like you would not believe. You know, riverways and, and little road paths. I mean, it was their original GPS Google Maps. You know, and the earth is flat. But the scripture got it right. For his individual attributes, Roman one twenty, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world for the things that have been made so they are without excuse. In other words, he's thinking that when the creation was made, man saw what was there at the beginning. And that would be early man. And again, we're going to look at some of the fossils and see if it answers. So I'm going to just review last week, uh, those of you who missed it, um, very quickly, let's start with evidence in the cell. There is evidence in the cell. Um, back in Darwin's day, in the 1800s, and his contemporary uh, Lyell, um, they thought that the cell was just a glob of pudding or jello. That's all it was, just this blob. And it was blob all the way through. Now look at the picture of the cell. I'm going to show a video here shortly. That's gonna, that whole video is going to take place within the nucleus, within one of those little chromosome areas there that are going to be forming a DNA molecule in the nucleus. And then it's going to end up, the end of the video is going to take you into the cell. It's going to show you a very small thing. Remember, you have trillion, trillion cells in your body. It's amazing. How many things are in there? And each one has genetic material with a ton of language in it. Put on the next one. I gave the example of the DNA molecule within that cell that it had a code written along. Imagine this being super long, miles and miles long, and that there's a code, a language actually written there with four letters. And those letters are called bases. And they're connected to a sugar phosphate bond. They're connected to this bond. But I told you that there was no chemical bond between the letters. There's nothing making the letters have their order, but they're in the DNA molecule. In other words, there's a language in here, but there's nothing mechanically. There's not this thing out here going, I want you to put the C next and then the T next and then the T because that'll mean this, which will mean that. And understand that this language is communicating an incredibly sophisticated language way beyond our own um, software and machine language code that we're writing. So it's, it's a very top level. Imagine a sun, it's, it has the beauty of a sonata. It understands electrical impulses, speeds, ratios, function. There are higher level organisms, even within the junk DNA, which coordinate cells. So you're looking at very sophisticated DNA molecule and nothing connecting them. So imagine, if I said the refrigerator that had these magnetic letters. 
Right now, it doesn't mean anything, but what if I went in there and I wrote out something that made sense? It was intelligent. Would you say that the power, that the reason those letters came into being is because of the refrigerator? How many would say no? But would you say, well, is it because of the letters? Because the letters were attracted to each other in a certain way that it would make a sentence. No. So what put that there? Can everyone say intelligence? Well, it is exactly like this in the cell. You have this language that makes sense, but there's nothing chemically putting it in the order that it is. Well, some people will say, well, it was already, it's already here, and so whoever has the best cells lives and the other person dies. That's called natural selection. Darwin said the one with the best cells lives. He didn't understand this sophistication. But okay, you still don't know if God made man fully. It doesn't give you any proof about that. So, but when you had the first life, you don't have natural selection because you got no cells. You got nothing to compete with something else because you got no life. So you have to put the chemicals together to build your first protein, okay? And that protein is not even going to be able to replicate itself. And I showed you the mathematical statistics that in order to put all those letters together to make sense, that the ratio of functional orders and non-functionals, in other words, you put it in that order, it's no life, versus you put it in this order, there is life, is there's one order of life to every 10 to the 70th power, which is basically an astronomical number. It'd be like me picking one place in the universe right now, anywhere in the entire universe, and one of you guys have to pick it now. Okay? That's how random it is. This is strong mathematics. It is a death blow to micromutation and um, natural selection as a mechanism for life coming from um, nothing. And if all those amino acids just perfectly lined up to make one protein, it would make protein and die. That's one example. It wouldn't replicate itself. Or it'd make a protein and the oxygen of the air would kill it and the sun would heat death it. It would have to be coated. So, and I can give you 100 different scenarios. It could be made and radioactivity could kill it. Wind could knock it over. Um, And the smallest self-replicating organism that we know, I mentioned it last week, is a mycoplasma genitalium, which is way more sophisticated than that thing I just showed you, 10 to the 70th power. But it is self-replicating as well. I think it has like 240 gene pairs, which is a lot of DNA, and it's a parasite. In other words, it needs something else that's already alive to self-replicate. So you're telling me, if you're an evolutionist, that your science can produce something from nothing, rocks and a little bit of energy, and boom, you have these amino acids that are all in order. Come on, that's funny. And Richard Dawkins in the movie Expelled says, I know, it can't happen. So why are you an atheist? He said, well, maybe it's coming from someplace else. Maybe someone planted it. And I personally think that it's a red pony that did it. It's a red pony from the galaxy 387. 
the Knuck galaxy. It's invisible. And they're going to make a TV show out of it. Listen, are you going to base your science on the facts or are you going to base your science on the TV, latest TV shows? Are you going to base it on Battlestar Galactica or are you going to base it on real science? And if, let's go put on the next slide and then we're going to play this video. If the genetic story is true, then you can't just paint these pictures of these animals going up here and going this became this, became this, became this on up. What you have to do is you have to now draw a genetic picture of how the genetic framework of this creature became that creature. And it's not just the genes having a certain information. You have to have higher level organisms that change the body plans of the organism. So tails moving here, you can't just go, well, let's just twist this bone here. Now it works. You have to show how genetically the body plan of that organism changed through genetic structure. This is a huge problem. Huge problem. Science is going to kill evolution. Um, the, the theory of macroevolution. Um, why don't you put on the cell? I'm going to give you a picture of the cell so you can see the sophistication. And you're going to see information. He's going to talk about this Bohr complex. You're going to see the beginning of the DNA gathering its fr from these nucleotide bases are producing its a protein. It's going to replicate itself. And this RNA, messenger RNA, is going to come out, which is just like the DNA, the same code. It's going to copy it. And then it's going to start forming a protein, and it's going to go through this information recognition system, which is going to dissect it and cut the code about. Do you know how software programmers know about this? It's called compiling. After they do their code, it goes through a compiler, which is a very sophisticated thing, usually 20 engineers working for two or three years, and then they're ongoingly working to compile the code to make it digestible. Multiply that by a 1,000. And then you're getting one element that it's working. That's how sophisticated. It's going to show things in slow motion, but this is moving very fast. Go ahead and if you play it, if you would.
How many think that's pretty cool? How many know that you have hundreds of thousands of proteins in your body right now? How many want the protein powder now? Everyone's going to go out and get their, you know, their protein from the Sherlins down there, right? Listen, that is the beauty of the cell. Um, after last week, I had some people come after afterwards and go, man, I lost you on point one, sorry. And then I had a bunch of people come to me and go, man, I wish you'd have gone in more detail on some of that. <laughs> so I listened to them. No, I didn't. I didn't. So there is evidence in the cell. How many say amen to that? Listen, and I showed you a bunch of things like bacteria flagellum and other things. There are little molecular machines all through your body. There's an irreducible complexity to many of these machines that can't be any smaller. So in other words, there's not a bottom-up story to tell of their evolution. Guys like, you know, you, know, go to, you can go to all kinds of publications and see the stories that they try to tell and their fairy tales. Um, they're very hopeful, like maybe this will happen. And you have to then, the fossil record should be a reflection of this genetic up story, but it's, it's not. And that's the great thing about God's word. You can count on it. Amen? He holds all things together. Okay, there's evidence in the universe. Um, I told you that Einstein looked through Edwin Hubble's telescope and he can see that the universe was moving out. So if I am the earth and here is a galaxy and let's say it's going 100 miles an hour, that's not accurate, but let's say it's moving away from the earth 100 miles an hour. If there's another galaxy out here that's twice as far, how fast is this galaxy going? 200,000 miles an hour because it's going twice the speed because it's twice the distance. So if we were to go to back into time and that one is moving back to at 100,000, eventually we'd all end up where? In the same place, okay? Now, the Bible describes that within a very short period, God created a bunch of things. The bottom-up story of the Big Bang Theory is at first there was helium and hydrogen and then there was some energy commotion and then basically stars started forming, but you need fusion and you don't have fusion, but the fusion comes from stars, the chicken and egg problem. And there's a bunch of problems that you have there, but let's just go with the story. That's their story of how things happen. But what we know for a fact is that when we look at these stars, okay, through this lens, we can see this red shift happen in the stars. So we can see it shift red, the light shifts red, so we know it's moving away. And based on that, looking at the stars, the farther they are, the faster they're going, okay? And I want you to imagine a universe where everything is all condensed. In Big Bang cosmology, it's called a singularity, everything and all condensed and all matter and mass, not just the stuff in it, but space itself comes to a singularity, the space that contains it, okay? Imagine a, it's called hyperspace outside, but the space itself and all the stuff in it is condensed at some point. Now, imagine the Bible's interpretation. God spoke, and there was what? Let there be light, and there was light. And then God made this, and boom, it was there, okay? Now, we have a vast universe, a very large universe, And so we have to ask ourselves in this very large universe that we measure the light years out. 
that they're 4.5 billion light years away are these stars. So how do we account for that? And first of all, let me just say that the universe is finite. It's limited. It doesn't go on forever. We know that because we know that eventually all these stars came at, at once, and we know the laws of entropy say that energy will run out. We haven't run out, so we don't have an infinite regression to our past because we're here, because otherwise we'd have no beginning if there's no um, um, start. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Nothing. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each what? By name. That's finite. God seems to have a finite universe picture right there in the scriptures. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So God tries a picture of the heaven and the stars being created. He calls them out. He brings them out one by one. And then they're formed out of nothing from a transcendent God. That's his description. Now, I'm going to give you a concept called gravitational time dilation here, which is real science. It comes from Einstein's theory of general relativity. You can see the small mathematical equation, and typically in math, a concise small equation is usually cleaner and neater and more power. Look at E equals mc squared. Very powerful, but very small, versus Big Bang theory, you know, which has Band-Aid after Band-Aid after Band-Aid to try to fit things into a model that they want to exist of where it came from. I'm not against it saying that it's all wrong. I'm just saying that it's a theory, one theory, to try to tell a story with what we see in our cosmos. I'm going to give you another picture here. Let me tell you something about time. Einstein gives this example. Imagine that time is relative to you. Time slows near massive objects. So if there, this is a massive object here near this drums, imagine it being like a planet. The closer I am, what happens to time? Does it go slower or faster? It's slower. We have two clocks um, in our atomic clocks on the earth, and they're at different heights. One is, the lower one goes slower by five microseconds compared to the other one, Okay. It's five microseconds off because it's lower. Imagine the universe all condensed together. Would everything be moving slower or faster? If all the mass of the universe was all together, would it move slower or faster? What if you were in the center of that mass? Would you move slower or faster? Slower. Well, there is a concept within Einstein's theory in gravitational time dilation. You can go on YouTube to try to gravitational time dilation, heal everything that I've talked about. He gave the example of, he was in a, you're in a train, and you're driving down, and the train's moving, you know, 50 miles an hour, and you're on the sidewalk watching the train. You're, relative to you, this object is moving. But now, let's switch places. You're in the train, and now you're looking at the person standing at the train. Who's the one moving? The one that's standing there because you're in the train watching everything else move. And that's where he started the concept of time is relative to you. And then once you brought gravity into it, the more you were slower and slower condensed the gravity, the slower it gets. Can everyone say lower equals slower? Okay. Now, we know this to be true. 
And so you paint the picture now of a universe that um, is condensed at the very beginning as God makes it and he's flinging things out into the universe. Let's imagine that the earth is a key part of it. Now, the scientific community specifically says, well, the earth should not be a key part of it. It's called the Copernican principle. Let's not assume that the earth is important. My thing is, why not assume that the earth is important? It's the only thing that we know that has life on it. Isn't that true? No, I watched Battlestar Galactica. There's planets all over with life and aliens on it. They can communicate and they got weird games and stuff. They can holograph. That's the television show. We don't know of any universes or any planets within our universe. We know ones that might have the capability and we're trying to find water and science is spending a lot of money finding water. And I'm not saying that God couldn't create another planet with people on it or things on it, but they're looking for a bottom up picture. We know that these planets are moving away from us. Do I hear an amen? You scientists out there. That's a fact. Okay. They're moving. These galaxies are moving away in all directions from us. As our universe and the things in the universe is expanding, like the Lord said, stretching out the heavens. Now, imagine it back where everything is condensed and all the mass is together and God makes the heavens and the earth. First, he makes the earth in the scriptures, heavens and the earth, right? And then he opens it up and he makes the sun, the moon, the stars out. And so imagine things flowing out. Now you have stars that he calls each by name and it's moving out. There is a thing called an event horizon, which means that in gravitational time dilation, you can have so much math within the ratio, mass within the ratio, that the actual time within the center of that mass can actually almost completely stop. It's called the event horizon. And as that thing stretches out, time could be moving one second at a time while the things so imagine I'm the earth and I'm moving and I'm moving now at the event horizon maybe one second because there's the mass and I'm very I'm lower and I'm slower but now I'm a galaxy that's being flung out what is my connection to the gravity is it increasing or decreasing it's decreasing am I going faster now or slower time is moving what faster And as I move out, time goes faster and faster until I can move out 14.5 billion light years. Easily. Not a problem. And there are at least 20 different scientists, four or five secular that are not Christians. Um, We have a couple Muslim as well that have just painted pictures of uh, gravitational time dilation, which is a perfectly mathematically consistent with Scripture and it's consistent with what we see. Put on the next one. So imagine that we have multiple timelines. We have Earth. Can everyone say Earth Standard Time? Which is moving at its speed at the very beginning. And then we have different timelines as we go out in the universe standard time that are moving out as they get less impacted by the mass of all the gravity. It becomes less, and it's moving out at its own speed different clocks. This is not scientific fantasy. This is scientific fact. So everything was probably created at roughly the same time. Clocks moving at different speeds relative to their proximity to the total mass and thrust. Okay, how many say amen? 
This is, if you want to read more about this, you can go to Jason Lyle, astrophysicist, Dr. Russell Humphrey from the Sandia Labs um, is another one. You can read his book, Starlight and Time. Um, that's probably the, the best ones to pick now because it's most easy reading. So there is evidence in the cell. There is evidence in the universe. And there is evidence in the creation. And I'm going to talk about the design argument real quickly here. If you see design, there must be what? A designer. Now, the original argument was by a guy named William Paley, who basically said, I see a watch, and if I see a watch, it must have a watchmaker. Now, evolutionists kind of laughed about that because they thought later on, they said, yeah, but we're talking about living organisms. That's okay. Answer the DNA argument. We know now what makes up a living organism is genetic material. Show us how this original genetic material is put together in a consistent strand because we can show now that it's, not, it's only been put there by intelligence and not by anything mechanical within the chemical, physical structure. It's immaterial, like the laws of logic. Now, centuries before Galileo theorized the earth was round, Scripture already declared it, the earth sits upon the circle of the earth. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, this fine-tuning argument is this. Our universe operates according to some real specific numerical values. Very specific. If I take this computer or this microphone and I drop it, based on the laws of gravity, it's going to drop at a very known speed. If a light goes by me, like it is right now, I know that it's traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Okay? That's how fast light works in a vacuum. It's the letter C in Einstein's theory. Okay? So it's consistent. Um, we know that this universe has different multiple values. It has the electromagnetic force, the strong, uh, weak force constant. It has the dark energy density, gravitational force constant. It has entropy levels. These are all fancy words to say that this universe with gravitational pull and magnetism being in balance are holding together everything. Okay? All are run by laws. Now, one physicist, Lee Smolin, said God is sitting at a desk and he has 100 different dials that control all of those things. So let's say he has one dial for the speed of light and he can change it. Well, it doesn't just change how fast the light goes. Speed of light has properties within the replication of the cell that have to be exact. So you can't change that one. Gravitational force. They have a whole special on this with uh, um, uh, Morgan Freeman on Netflix that basically describes exactly what I'm saying, where you can't adjust gravity at all. And he says, what if we went in there and went into one of those dials and just changed them, Lee Smolin says, as scientists, and just try to tweak them? And Stephen Hawking says the same thing. He said, if we touch one dial, he says, the expansion rate of the universe, how fast the universe is expanding, and you move it, not 10%, but one part in 100,000th millionth millionth, just that much, you have no universe and you have no life. That's it. That's fine-tuned. So when people start drawing, they go, there could be other universes that could do this and that. No, there can't. Everything is just fine-tuned. Well, this is just the universe we have. This is the universe that just came into being. Okay, that's a leap of faith. I believe, and the scripture declares, and the genetic material declares, that it is designed. The material universe had a beginning. Next slide. 
the immaterial God has no beginning or end. Listen to what Hebrews 1.8 says. Those of you who might come from LDS backgrounds, here's where the Father is calling the Son God. We know that the Son calls the Father God, which is consistent with Trinitarian belief. The Father calls the Son God. The Son calls the Father God. But yet they say there's only one God. And the Father calls the Holy Spirit God. The Holy Spirit calls the Son God and vice versa. The Father, to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. God is not going to give it over to Big Bang cosmology. He's going to say that he made it with his own hands. They will perish. Can everyone say they will perish? Are they going to perish? Yes. I showed that in the cosmological argument at the beginning. They will perish. God says they'll perish. He says, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, just like your garment, this shirt. You go, man, I really like this shirt. Well, in another couple of years, enough wash, just lay it out in the sun, just even keep it in your house. Little by little, the cells in here will deteriorate. It's the way it goes. Everything is devolving. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. How many want to have their hope in the God that doesn't change? Okay, skip the next one. Evidence in the earth. This will be the last one, and I'll be just a few minutes over. I'll go fast. Evidence in the earth. When Noah's 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, the, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. So we have a core, we have the magna, and the different layers of the earth, and we have a water layer underneath. That's fact. That's how we dig wells and all those things, and you can go different levels based on where location you are. That water erupted. Now, imagine that erupting all over the globe. That's the picture, whether in the ocean and on the earth, all that stuff. And remember, volcanoes are 95% what? Water, okay? Majority of water, that's all they are with some electrical impulse is. So here you have a picture of Noah and an ark and land little by being covered and the whole ground. In fact, if the ground is being blown up like this, what do you think is going to die first? You think jellyfish will die first? Fish? Things in the water? Yeah, exactly. Things in the water will die first, and that's what you have at the very bottom of the fossil record. Everything dying because of this. Okay? You can see, put on the next slide, you can see the pre-flood mountains and pre-flood seas and subterranean water up there and moving up fountains of the deep moving all over. So you have radical cataclysmic catastrophe. The evolutionists believe in a theory called uniformitarian, which is basically that everything, we only measure things on slow erosions. We look at the Grand Canyon a little bit of water worked its way through and little by little carved out the rock of the canyon. Well, you're either going to have a little bit of water or a lot of water. A little bit of water over a long time or a lot of water over a little bit of time. Okay, put on the next one. Um, You can see that this is the typical fossil record um, of things. 95% of all known fossils are marine invertebrates. Only 4.7 are plant and algae, and then you have a 0.1%, which is basically animals. But when you look at the fossil record, it looks like it's all animals. Most of the fossils are not animals. 
okay? But that's the one they show in the picture to try to do it. And you get an ecological picture. The mammals and the, you know, things like foxes and stuff come at the end because they're the ones probably climbing up on the mountains during the, the flood. And understand, we've had tons of buffalo, millions of buffalo die in, in starvation. But guess what? We don't have their fossils. Why do we all of a sudden have fossils now? Because of the fact that we have a cataclysmic event. And this picture going up, if this is true with these millions of years, then you're going to have to show it from a genetic picture, how they genetically moved up the ladder, which they can't do. And why do we have these complex creatures? There are some complex creatures that are just as complex as the ones that are up there. And we know that from the cell types that they have. Let's keep going. There's another, I won't go into this one because I don't have time. Next one. Um, but here's another picture. One back up one more. Back up one more. Back up. Back up. There we go. If you see, you guys see the side, how everything's on its side right there? That there, this is called the great unconformity. Something devastated the ecology. And then all of a sudden after that, which we believe is the Genesis flood, and then all of a sudden you have these layers, liquefaction according to size and weights, measuring themselves up and all over the earth. All of a sudden the sandstone, Coconillo sandstone, is going across about eight or nine states, just ingrained, underwater, subterranean flow, uh, attaching itself to the rock in equal parts. Um, almost done. Next one now. Skip those two. Well, you can, never mind. Go back one. I can't skip it. Sorry. Back up one more. This is the evolution picture. We all came from one thing. We don't know what that one thing is, but it's probably from some other galaxy. But when it got here, it planted this DNA or some form of original RNA. And then it kind of evolved, and everything has evolved from one thing. In other words, you and the banana are related. Right? But we have the same genetic chromosomes as monkeys. Yeah, and more so lettuce. Because it's water. You're very similar to lettuce. If you want to just take similar strands. But the strands and the way that they're manipulated in the message is completely different. That's why people don't put blue cheese dressing on my head. Okay? And I can think. God has given everything a body as he determined to each kind of seed he gives his, can everyone say, its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animal have another, birds another, fish another. Put on the next slide. This is what we actually observe. Imagine these creatures being made and that there is variety within the kind. And God said, let the land produce living creatures. Can everyone say, according to their kinds? According to their times, kinds. What kind are they? And, and then he says, in another part, he says, and nothing was out of its kind that was in its kind. In other words, you can't mate out of its kind, and that's true. Dogs don't mate with cats. Dogs make other dogs, which make more dogs, and they all end up at my house. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> but something evolutionary about it. Next one, they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the word of that time, world of the time was deluged and destroyed. 
By the same word, the present heaven and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destructions of ungodly men. It's one day of judgment, by the way, for those of you who are premillennial, dispensational. You can just look at that. Almost. You got to see some interesting things. Next one. Here is the Grand Canyon. I want you to look at this. You see that little water? Over millions and millions and millions of years, that water has carved it out. But I want you just for a second to imagine that it was a lot of water. And imagine that that water was hitting the edges and moving at almost 3.5 meters per second. That's how fast the water was moving. A whole, imagine a giant toilet bowl, okay? Imagine a mud in your backyard and a bunch of water all of a sudden at once, and at the top there, it's making those layers, those indents on the top. You see it all along. When I'm driving down, you know, 70 or something, I can see the wa- where the water layers were. Utah was all underwater. And then imagine that you get these layers with a great big unconformity sideways land and then these fossils that are complex and different kinds of ecology, swamp creatures at the bottom because they got drowned first. And then you can pick, and there's a million books that you can get on this that are sophisticated. And then last one, or no, I'm sorry. And then Mount St. Helens, it's, when it erupted in 1980, it broke open Spirit Lake Dam and it busted it open through volcanic rock, and how many think there's a lot of water back there? Put on the next slide, and you got a miniature 140th Grand Canyon. You can see the layers. These layers are um, 370 million years old, but they're not. They're brand new. Literally, they're two years old at this picture. You can see that liquefaction already happening, and you see these trees that are cut down are bobbing this way and grounding themselves in the sedimentary rock, and they're going to get buried in different layers. And I'll show you this in the Grand Canyon. If you put on the next slide, here is the Grand Canyon. These are called polystrate fossils, trees growing across the ages. These were all buried in rock. As the rocks were taken off, you find these trees. So some of these are in a Jurassic period. Some of these are in a different age period. Trees going across fossil layers. This is all through the fossil record. You have fish growing across the fossil layers. How was that possible? Well, this fish was stuck in this fossil for a million years and didn't decay. And then he just kept going up, and then the layers kept going and kept surrounding him until finally going, and it's all over the place. How is that possible? And you can see this one was found in, in, in Canada there in a 1910. Um, And then look at this next one. Here you have modern fossils. And this is from the Devonian period. Here you have hundreds of millions of years ago. And there it is right now. There's one great example, the coelacanth, almost identical. Here's the dragonfly, but it sounds better if it's a carboniferous, right? You have this true for the shark, where you have shark fossils that look like our sharks that are still there. This is a big problem. And if you think these are just a few that I found, I have hundreds of these. I had to get rid of so many slides, and I'm way over time. One more, and then another more. This fish, rapid burial. He's eating another fish and got fossilized. How many think this was rapid? 
Now, he died like that. He was eating and had a heart attack. Oh, I knew I should have ate some more fish with tartar sauce. Bam. This is rapid, catastrophic burial. This is a whale upside, I mean, literally on its tail, trying to escape the mud, trying to get away from, from burial. Okay? This is pretty significant. Next one, this is, this next one, this is T-Rex cells with, with this right there where the arrows are pointing. I'm pointing to the actual soft tissue. This is soft bendable sponge tissue of supposedly 65 million year old T-Rex. And the only reason you have this, because a lot of times at museums, you don't have the real bone. You have a replication of the bone made from other material. The only reason you have this is because Schweitzer, who found it, she couldn't fit the bone in her helicopter. And there was a storm, so she had to make a choice. So she cut it in half and saw red in the bone. This is not in a frozen area. This is a real area. It should decay by its own chemistry to nothing in 65 million years. This is not an isolated incident. This is a common incident. And here you have, you can actually see the red blood cells. And by the way, um, you can't make like a Jurassic Park. They've shown that you can't make it. And then this is just one funny one. This is Neanderthal man. They find, they find a certain skull and they go, this must be a, maybe this is an older man. I, I wonder if they saw, what if they caught my facial bone and Ira's facial bones? Like who would have evolved into who, right? But this is a, a depiction of the original Neanderthal man before us supposedly, okay? I just believe it's common man. And put on the next slide and I'll show you why I think it's common man because there you go. Those are real people on the right, okay? I mean, look at that guy. I know his mother loves him. I'm teasing him. I'm teasing. Put on the scripture. I'll close now, and I'm sorry I'm so late. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. You want to serve that God? Here he says, next one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. If you believe in the God that made you, let me just encourage you. This God made you with even more purpose. He made all that stuff for you. He gave initial man dominion over the land and the animals and the, all the things that were under his domain. And then man fell and fell short. Listen, I know it was complicated, but how about you got something out of it today anyway? I hope you did. I know I'm this longer. I won't go longer next week, I promise. But this one was a hard one to condense. Why don't you close your eyes? And if you have to pick up your kids, you're fine. Father, I thank you. And maybe you need to recommit your heart to God's word. You don't think that God's word has power for your life? You don't think he's carefully crafted each word and sentence to bring you deliverance? Of course he has. He wired you and he wrote his word to be life. He gave you his spirit so that it would bring light 
and drive out the darkness, the depression, the discouragement, the fear, the hopelessness. Let the light in. Let him in. And let this ruler, a creator who created all things, who makes it so obvious, let him reign in your mortal body, his immortality within you. We'll have the base camp team come up. If you'd like to put your hope in Christ, maybe you've never done it. You've had your hope in man. You've had your hope in, in science. And trust me, I'm pro-science. You hear me talking about this. I love talking about it. But God saved you because we're sinners. We fall short. And you know that, and I know that. I know it about me. And that way, I know it about you. Your sins have been forgiven. God, who made everything, put on humanity and came down. God and man as one. And he lived just like you live but did not sin. And in the end, instead of the consequences that sin brings, death and pain and corruptibility, discouragement, ongoing um, decay, God says, I'll take your place. And you'll take my place by being right, by being made right before the Father. And you'll be reconciled. You'll be forgiven. And you need that forgiveness. That's you. Just raise your hand. Look up at me. Say, Pastor, I need that forgiveness. I need that redemption. My left, your right. Anybody on this side? Anybody? My left, your right. Anyone on this side? My right, your left. Not one person. Father, I thank you. Oh, Father, I thank you, first of all, that you are the God that helps us to be evangelistic. And I pray for everybody here that they would not just look internally, but preach the good news. And I want to encourage you, as you're sitting here listening to this message, why not invite one or two people? Why not invite them to say, hey, come listen and hear from God's word, God's truth, that they can hear the gospel and be saved.